Mr. Hoffman in 1896 wrote a book, Race, Traits, and Tendencies of Black Americans. He basically said that African Americans were going to die out because their bodies could not handle freedom. National Public Health Week at 25 is our moment to both celebrate, but as you said, we've got to sit down, buckle up, roll up our sleeves, and as a collective, move forward. There is no more good water because it plunges dry. Hello, welcome. You just heard Jaybird Coleman. Jaybird was born in 1896, you know, 124 years ago in Alabama to a family of sharecroppers. He sings and he plays a blues entitled No More Good Water. Jaybird Coleman brings us back to 1915 and puts us in the mood to listen to this April 2020 podcast of the American Journal of Public Health. This year is the 25th anniversary of the launching of National Public Health Week. This was in 1995. Before National Public Health Week, there has been a 35-year-long National Negro Health Week from 1915 to 1950. What was that National Negro Health Week? What did it achieve? Is there any link between National Negro Health Week and National Public Health Week? I explored these questions with three guests. Professor Vanessa Gamble from George Washington University, Professor Paul Braff from Temple University, and Dr. Georges Benjamin, who is the Executive Director of the APHA. I am Alfredo Morabia, Editor-in-Chief of AJPH, and we are March 11th, 2020. I first had a fascinating discussion with Dr. Vanessa Gamble about the context in which National Negro Health Week emerged and its purpose. Dr. Vanessa Northington Gamble is a university professor of medical humanities and a professor of health policy and American studies at the George Washington University in Washington, D.C. I really want to understand what was the context in which in 1915 the National Negro Health Week was launched. You know, w one of the things that I, I, I think is important in, in terms of context is that 1915 was a half a century after the end of the Civil War. And with freedom, there were not many infrastructures or organizations that took care of the formerly enslaved people. Of course, the formerly enslaved people tried their best to take care of themselves, but there were not a lot of resources. So, so the first thing we can say is that the federal government failed uh, on uh, providing African-Americans and, and freed slaves the, all the infrastructures in terms of housing, health, education that it should have provided to its citizens. Federal government definitely failed the formerly enslaved people. 
after the Civil War, there was an increase in some diseases in African Americans, for example, tuberculosis, or what was called consumption at that time, in large part because many of the formerly enslaved people left rural plantation areas, moved to cities. And what started to happen was that there were people in public health and also uh, in medicine and also and in, and in insurance who said that African Americans were going to die because their bodies were unable to handle emancipation. But there, there was a counter narrative here by people such as W.E.B. Du Bois who said that it was not in the bodies of African Americans that led to high morbidity and mortality, but in, in but that it was caused by social conditions. Mm -hmm. and, and so were, were these ideas of Du Bois uh, at the origin of this uh, National uh, Negro Health Week, were they directly correlated? What is directly linked in that the work of Booker T. Washington, Robert Rosa Moton, and Du Bois, what linked all of their work was the fact that they believed that social factors determined the health of African Americans and that African American health could improve and would improve if the social conditions changed. But Vanessa, it must have been extremely difficult to bring these ideas in a context dominated by segregation with all those crazy myths about uh, the weaknesses of black bodies, how did they do to bring this idea of a week dedicated to Negro health? I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, that you, you bring up, Alfredo, that is critical is that this work was taking place at the time of extreme white supremacy, Jim Crow, discrimination, and that African-Americans, men and women, had to fight against this. So there were uh, many activities. On the one hand, you had people such as W.E.B. Du Bois conducting research of trying to show through research, and it was more action-oriented research, we would call it today, where they would do the research and then try to come up with solutions based on that research. Then you had people such as Booker T. Washington and a, a woman by the name of Virginia Burns Hope, who was in Atlanta, who established a settlement house. You found people like this trying to do grassroots efforts to get the African-American community mobilized to fight these inequities in health. So this uh, National uh, Negro Health Week was actually if I understand you, the result of black activism, community organizing, I mean, it's been a, a, an incredible grassroots movement. The thing about National Negro Health Week is that it was not led by physicians, but it was led by people who cared for the health of African Americans, but also who, who thought that the future of the race, if you will, was dependent on changing 
the health care of African Americans and improving it. And, and in fact, uh, Booker T. Washington once had a saying that without health, and long life, all else fails. This is a part of that effort. Yeah, that makes sense. But can you say, for example, that uh, the movement towards the National Negro Health Week was somewhat analogous of what happened 50 years later for the civil rights? It was a, a national grassroots movement that led to the recognition of the importance of the health of the African-American communities. What was analogous between the National Negro Health Week, especially in the early years, was that it was a, a national movement, but that it came from local communities. So what some of the activities in, say, Alabama, say in, in Tuskegee, would not be the same, say, in Atlanta so that many of the activities were also based on local action, which was also same uh, with the civil rights movement. The fact that the Surgeon General incorporated in the U.S. Public Health Service the National Negro Health Week was the main success. I mean, it was in some ways the, the main objective of, of this uh, initiative. Well, was right. It? That was a part of the objective but one of the things that the historian Susan Smith, who's written about black women's activism, which she talks about, is how African-American health activists turned it into not just an effort of looking at health, but as a vehicle for social welfare organizing and political activity. And part of the goal was to get the federal government to take control and recognition that the healthcare needs of the African-American community was important. I walked down to the river, then turned around and round. I then asked Paul Braff, a historian at Temple University in Philadelphia, whose research focuses on African-American history and public health during the 20th century. I asked him to describe the trajectory of National Negro Health Week during its 35 years of existence and first, what the National Negro Health Week consisted of. What does it consist of? It consists of basically... Um, trying to organize, so we, have, we have a national organization, right, national movement, and Booker T. Washington is the principal of uh, the Tuskegee Institute, one of the most well-known uh, African-American schools. In the um, so he has this publicity arm from the school that he can use to get African-Americans involved. So it's about involving communities uh, in terms of organizing uh, cleanups. Again, specific goals are cleaning up, whitewashing, painting, uh, sanitary privies, uh, most African-Americans don't have access, again, particularly in the rural South. They don't have bathrooms or indoor plumbing or anything like that. So really making sure that privies are sanitary, that whitewash, which had the benefit of uh, being a deodorizer, promoting some health issues, is to help African-Americans to take control of their health without medical professionals around. So what can I do as a regular person to improve my health, given that I can't see 
a medical profession. So the first versions uh, of the week were really about hygiene. And Correct. did it evolve over time? Yeah, so in 1921, the U.S. Public Health Service gets involved. At that point in time, Washington had passed away, and it was uh, the program was being led by Robert Moton, who had many connections to President Wilson and acted as an advisor to Wilson and other presidents during the 1920s. So he's a fairly big name. And he gets the U.S. Public Health Service to help him run this run this week. And again, Washington and Moton don't have, you know, they're not doctors. They don't, they don't have a medical back. Uh, and as the U.S. Public Health Service gets involved, it slowly turns the program more towards supporting, promoting the use of medical prof profession. Uh, clinics become much more common in the week. Uh, vaccination drives, um, inoculations, those kinds of things uh, really become points of emphasis as the sort of em uh, as the point switches from just specific practice that individuals could do to using doctors as a way to really um, get help. So, Paul, what has been, over time, the impact of National Negro Health Week? Just really hard to say the exact impact. I can tell you that people at the time, those running it, the campaigns, thought that it had a definite impact in terms of just getting the average African American to think about health, more often, there's a lot of these programs went into schools uh, and tried to educate African-American children about that, to try to teach them behaviors early on that they would then use throughout their life. And I mean, the statistics all say that African health gets better over time. The average uh, life expectancy is about 35 in the early 1900s and goes over 50 before 1950 every day. Yeah, because uh, it starts in 1915, it ends in 1950. That's 35 mm -hmm. years. Why would they have, have kept this yearly event if it didn't have any impact? Yeah, I completely agree. And again, the leaders, you know, from Moton to the Surgeon General, Peron and Cumming, um, they all argue that it has a that it has a, uh, an impact, or they wouldn't have kept you know funding it, and they and they increase the funding. Um, and we have statistics that say that, you know, by 1941, you have over 4 million participants in activities across the country. More than 30 states are, are participating. And it's not just in the South. It gets, it gets in the North as well as the African-Americans move out of the South due to the great migration and opportunities in the North, along with the great publicity that the government gives the program. So, you know, everyone argues that it has a program. The exact, you know, can we say how many lives saved or um, you know, people inoculated or, you know, affected, that's, that's harder. But during that same period, the life expectancy of African-American grew faster, if I understand you well, than mm -hmm. the life expectancy of the white population. Yes, so that's, that's correct. Relatively, yeah. this could also have been a, a consequence of the week. And, and of the education, of the access to care and sanitation and hygiene, what do you think? Yeah, I think I think it certainly was a factor. To say it was the primary cause, I think, would you know ignore some of the other history. I mean, as we go through time, 1930s, 1940s, hospitals start to desegregate. Uh, white physicians start to see African Americans. African Americans uh, move to the cities where doctors are, uh, kind of out of the rural areas. So 
you know, African Americans have more access to health professionals. In 1950, they decide to interrupt the National Negro Health Week. And apparently it was working. So, so what happened? Why did they stop it? So the short answer is that there is a movement among African-American uh, professionals, the NAACP, uh, the National Medical Association, the National Association of Color Graduate Nurses, towards integration. And the, the week, you know, it's called National Negro Health Week. So it has a very separate racial idea. Uh, specifically, it seems to indicate there are issues that, health issues that only affect African-Americans. And this idea, which might have been more useful when you know, segregation was, was much more popular as African-Americans are working towards and making strides towards integration. You know, the NACGN, the National Association of Color Graduate Nurses, they get African-American nurses onto the American Nurses Association. Even the American Medical Association even considers possibly removing the, the racial barriers they allow their state and local organizations to have. In the wake of these advances, it seems like a week that is specifically designed for a particular group seems to separate the races at a time when we're trying to promote integration. It kind of seems outdated and even to some degree backward. So that would be the negative argument, but could there be a positive argument in the sense that if it were working for the African-American population, why don't we expand it to everyone, all races? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great idea. And there is this talk in the campaign of we should just have a national health. And, and that just never kind of gets done. There is no national health week. There are specific other national health week. There's like national child health week and some other things. But nothing really with this sort of feel and, and, and the numbers of people participating in national equal health week generated. No one yes. said we interrupt the Negro Health Week, and we start the Public Health Week. No one said that. I, I have not found anything uh, that says that. No. Okay. As the fishes in the water had my blood been down. National Negro Health Week was interrupted in 1950, and National Public Health Week began in 1995. There is a gap of 45 years and no evidence that National Public Health Week was a universal version of National Negro Health Week. But with Dr. Georges Benjamin, we will see that both health weeks had lots in common. Dr. Georges Benjamin, who is the executive director of the APHA, is one of the most influential persons in medicine and public health in the country. Good morning, Georges. Good morning, Alfredo. Good to hear your voice. Yeah, yours too. And listen, I mean, are you excited because it's going to be the 25th anniversary of National Public Health Week? We are. We're very excited about this, this 25th anniversary. You know, I love birthdays. 
Um, and we, we were excited on the 20th, and we're even more excited on our 25th. How was the Clinton administration convinced to launch a national public health week? What was the convincing aspect? Because it's a federal initiative. I mean, that's for everyone in the country. That must be very important. It, well, well, it is. And, and, and let me pay homage to, um, it's not a predecessor, but to an early model. So as you know, there was um, National Negro Health Week, which um, was around for about 35 years. It was designed to try to improve the health and well-being of African Americans in the country. The movement spurred the growth of lots of African Americans and others to get into public health. One of those guys was a guy named Cass Evans. And Cass Evans was a dentist. He was a senior official in the Los Angeles County Health Department. And at that time, Los Angeles was trying to do kind of a community planning effort. They understood that if you engage communities, um, you can be helpful. And in Los Angeles, they, they got together. This was about uh, the late 80s, 1988 or so. Um, they had a big planning effort, and they had their own public health week in Los Angeles County. You know, fast forward, Dr. Evans is now the president of the American Public Health Association in 1995. He brings that, those knowledge and ideas and experiences from, you know, from his county to APHA, and they recognize the importance of getting this to be a national issue, and they reach out to the White House, and we're able to convince the administration that this was an important enough issue that the president should be claiming a national week. It's a, a fascinating, exciting story. What does National Public Health Week consist of? The idea is to raise for at least one week in the year an opportunity to both celebrate our successes in public health and then to sit back and say, okay, what do we need to do to improve the health of the public for the future? And the concept of enhancing health promotion and disease prevention. And what we do is we create a, a theme for each day of the week and Again, that's to try to get focus on the, on the concept. We kind of set the overall theme at APHA, and then we let the local communities take that theme and run with it and do what is relevant for them in their own communities. And we get thousands of partners. We create a national toolkit so that people don't have to reinvent some of the, the communications tools and the community engagement tools, and we, we let them go for it. And so it's a national celebration, but it's also an opportunity to fundamentally engage communities in improving their health. And do communities get engaged, you know, in practice, really? Yeah, they do. Um, these communities absolutely engage in, 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 in the activity. We have thousands and thousands of these activities occurring around the country. And I certainly, as I get around the country doing National Public Health Week, I, I see these communities involving their political and elected officials they involve their schools, they involve community groups. And, you know, you, you often see just local organizations, banks, um, businesses um, engaging in Public Health Week, again, to try to look at things to improve their health. The other interesting thing is during that week, we encourage people to do a range of individual health protection activities. One of the big things, for example, we have, we have the Billion Steps campaign uh, to try and encourage people to walk more. And so people measure their steps. And each and every year, we've, we've made those, uh, over the last few years, we've made successes and had over a billion steps uh, nationally each year. Wow. And, and tell me, Georges, uh, does National Public Health Week get us closer to be the healthiest nation in one generation? Well, you know, I often get people often ask me, is that too ambitious a goal? 
And I, I remind people that if you don't have any goal, you'll never achieve it. Uh, yeah, but never... come on, Georges. The healthiest <laughs> nation in one generation. Come on. Are we setting an ambitious goal? You bet. Is it achievable? You bet. It's a stretch goal. No question about that. But we can do this. It requires leadership at the top. You know, we need, we need, we need a true minister of health who gets up every day and says, you know, we're going to be healthier. We're going to move this nation forward. Yeah, I understand that. that. That's a vision, and it's actually uh, doable, uh, and we just uh, need to do what it takes. And I think you're that leader, no doubt. Well, it's not me. It's all the people <laughs> around me. It's you, Alfredo. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the folks that want to make this nation healthier. And National Public Health Week at 25 is our moment to both celebrate, but as you said, we've got to sit down, buckle up, roll up our sleeves, and as a collective, move forward. There is no more good water because the pond is dry. All right. These interviews indicate that National Negro Health Week and National Public Health Week have so much in common that it is hard to believe that one is not an offshoot of the other. Both have drawn their energy from local activism and a federal leadership that used to be in Tuskegee and now is at the APHA. But it is difficult today to realize the magnitude of the task it has been in 1915 to build the movement that brought the attention of African-American health to federal authorities. The context was that of a federal government that had failed to materially support the formerly enslaved people. But ultimately, when the federal government took over the implementation of the National Negro Health Week, it came to do what it should have done in 1865 take responsibility. If National Public Health Week is not the offspring of National Negro Health Week, it certainly is animated by the same spirit. I'm grateful to all my interviewees for their time and their willingness to share their ideas. I also thank Emily D'Agostino and Michael Costanza for comments and edits on an earlier version of the podcast. Francis Jacob found a song by J. Bird Coleman. Born in 1896 in Alabama to a family of sharecroppers, J. Bird Coleman embodies the blues culture, and this song, No More Good Water, gives us a feeling of the place and time in which public health was only a dream. This is Alfredo Morabia at AJPH. For more podcasts, including podcasts in Chinese and Spanish, visit us at AJPH.org or subscribe to it on your usual podcast app. A full transcript of the podcast is available on the AJPH website for persons with hearing disabilities. That's it. Thank you for listening. There is no more good water because the pond is dry. Ask the fishes in 
the water and my blue been down.